0: History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The Big Picture Questions and the Most Interesting Research in Science.
1: Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science. And as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. You see my pen? Where's my pen? I can't...
2: I don't know. Did, um, you, did you
3: put it in the yard sale stuff? With I did not. All of no, my other treasured listen, belongings. You
2: can never find a pen. You can't blame this on me. I'm not getting rid of your treasured belongings. You're it, being ridiculous. All my you know, beer and signs.
3: Dramatic. You put all my beer signs in the pile for the yard sale. Yes. Those are treasured family heirlooms.
2: Okay, we both agreed that they are going to go away. (laughs) And I know that it's hard to see it happening, but it's happening. We have too much stuff. We're getting rid of the stuff. It's happening.
3: The Cat and Jethro yard sale is about to take place. This is going to be an interesting weekend.
2: I am very excited because we have been planning slash not having a yard sale for... Seven years?
3: Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is we say we've never had time to do the yard sale, Mm -hmm. but we've had plenty of time to go to yard sales. And
2: get more shit.
3: That will end up in our yard sale.
2: Yes. Yeah. I'm actually really pleased with the progress that we've made so far. Uh, Unfortunately, I had loaded up my car with a bunch of stuff that I was just going to get rid of. And then I found out that we were doing this yard sale. And so the stuff had to come out of the car so I could resort it. And it has been a process (laughs)
1: do you
3: remember the yard sale we went to last summer and they were selling a bunch of um, baby furniture it was one of those side streets over by where Stephen King lives and uh, there was like a diaper pail and not only was there still diapers in the pail but the lid was up as if to display them (laughs)
2: look what you can put in here yeah, we, we get it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So
3: that diaper pail is going to end up in our yard sale now.
2: We don't have a diaper pail. No, no. we do have a diaper sale, but not that diaper pail. No. <laughs> it's a different one. <laughs> God, why do we have a diaper pail? Uh, uh. Anyway, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
3: Well, if the dogs will settle down just a little bit, I've mm. got a story for you.
2: It happened in
3: November 1961, according to a story I found on Ranker. Okay. A Wisconsin family, Arthur and Jean Dupereau, and their children, chartered a boat for a trip from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, to the Bahamas. That sounds like a, tr- a dream vacation.
2: It does sound amazing, but for some reason when you said, and their children chartered a boat, I just picture like, beep, pop, boop, pop, Hi, yeah, um, I need a boat. But... <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like a child chartering a boat would be hilarious.
3: The ship was captained by a guy named Julian Harvey. Now, the Dupereau family was looking for some downtime. They wanted to take their three children, 14-year-old Brian, 11-year-old Terry Joe.
2: I just bought some new loafers.
3: And 7-year-old Renee. But things didn't go quite like they had planned. Uh, The Dupereau family was a well-off family from the Green Bay, Wisconsin area. Arthur Dupereau was an optometrist. His dream was to live on a sailboat for a year. So in November of 1961, he decided to avoid the winter weather and, you know, yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, we get that. Yeah, we do. Um, so he, he took his family to the Bahamas. He chartered a boat. Aww. And he thought if they liked life at sea, maybe that they would stay for even a little bit longer.
2: That sounds amazing.
3: So the Duperos arrived in Florida.
2: Now, is their name spelled like Duper Rocks?
3: No, it's D-U-P-E-R-R-A-U-L-T, D U P E R R A U L T. Oh, Dupereau. Okay. I, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly.
2: I assumed that it was that whole X at the end, which makes a O sound. No, no, it's very confusing. But the the alt that sounds like O is confusing also.
3: So the Dupereaus arrived in Florida, and Arthur hired a guy named Julian Harvey. Um, he was a former. Air Force fighter pilot, an experienced sailor, and uh, they hired him to captain a sailboat called the Bluebell, and he brought his wife of three months, Mary, along to act as, uh, as, as crew. So on the 8th of November, 1961, the Dupereau and the Harveys sailed from Fort Lauderdale to Bimini. The Dupereaus were having a wonderful time.
2: I bet. It sounds amazing. I want to go to Bimini.
3: And they already started planning their next trip. They were having such a good time.
2: Oh, I'm so jealous right now. I want to go on a trip.
3: <laughs> well, it it didn't end well because uh Captain Captain Harvey killed everybody on board.
2: Oh. Yeah. Ugh.
3: Police believed Julian Harvey Planned to use the uh, DuPereau's trip as an opportunity to kill his wife and cash in on an insurance policy that he had purchased right after he had married Mary.
2: Wow. Okay. So, you know what's weird is you started saying that uh, he was going to captain their boat and brought his wife, Mary, of three months. And I thought to myself, <laughs> shit, I would never go on a boat with a person that I had just married. Right. Uh, because, you know, it, people kill people all the time, and yep. that's just how it go- And then I was like, would you stop that? You know, there's there's lots of times where husbands and wives don't kill each other. There are examples of it all over the place, mm-hmm. it, but now I was right this time.
3: Well, you said that the other night when uh, we were watching videos of a hiking trail along mm-hmm. a volcano in Hawaii, yep. and uh, it was a pretty dangerous, narrow trail, and you said that this is about the point, if we were to do this, that I would uh, assume that you brought me here to kill me.
2: Yeah, well, it, no, maybe not assume, but I certainly wouldn't allow you within touching distance of me. <laughs> like, And it's not because I don't love you. I do. I adore you. I think you're a treasure and uh, something that we as uh, a household and the world are lucky to have. However... You
3: don't trust me.
2: I wouldn't let you anywhere near me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so anyway, anyway, Captain Harvey, he, uh, he got this insurance policy. It was a double indemnity clause that meant that it paid Twice as much if it was an accidental death. Okay. And interestingly, it, it came to, to, to light that Captain Harvey's third wife, Joanna, also died under mysterious circumstances.
2: Interesting.
3: So, the end result here, I'm going to tell you how it happened, but the end result was he killed everybody on the ship except 11 year old Terry Joe, who he left to uh, die, you know, just abandon oh. her at sea.
2: Oh my gosh.
3: He escaped on a dinghy with the body of her younger sister in the dinghy.
2: I have questions. Why? Like, first of all, I wish I hadn't made so many jokes. Mm. Um, secondly, why would he take the body of the youngest one and then leave a not dead one? I, I
3: guess to make it look like he tried to rescue. Oh.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. He kills everyone on board and escapes with the body of one of the children. He left Terry Joe stranded at sea. He left her to die on the sinking ship. But the 11-year-old Terry Joe was far more resourceful than Captain Harvey thought.
2: Oh, it, is this going to be one of those stories where she perseveres and I cry?
3: This is how it happened. Okay. Around 9 p.m. on November 12, 1961, Terry Joe was sleeping below deck. She woke up to the sound of her brother Brian yelling, Help, Daddy, help! And she of course was terrified, but she didn't dare get out of her bunk. Eventually she worked up the courage to go up to the main cabin. There Terry Joe saw the bodies of her mother and her brother lying in a pool of blood. <gasps> clearly dead. She then went up on deck and discovered even more blood and a knife. As Terry Jo stood there, she was frozen, you know, horrified by, by what she saw. Captain Julian Harvey found her there and ordered her to return below deck. She ran back to her bunk, but before long, she started seeing ocean water flooding into her cabin. The ship was going down and it was going down quickly. As the water poured in, Terry Joe knew she couldn't stay below, obviously. Mm. So she went back up on deck and she saw Harvey again, who told her the ship was sinking. Um, it's unclear why he did this, but the captain handed her the rope to the dinghy, which held the lifeless body of her sister, Renee. Mm-hmm. And because Terry Joe was in shock, she just kind of dropped the rope. And Harvey dove into the water, and she thought at the time it was to recover the line, but Terry Joe never saw him again.
2: So at this point, she has no idea what's going on. No. Oh, my gosh.
3: She was clearly terrified and, and I imagine quite confused. Um, but even so, Terry Joe remembered that she had seen a cork float on the ship. So she untied it and she climbed on board as the bluebell sank beneath her into the dark water. Wow. Terry Joe floated on the cork float for hours and then hours turned into days Over time, the cork began to disintegrate. Sure. And she was forced to dangle her legs over the side. Now, having to hold that position was painful on its own, but it was even more painful because her legs and feet were exposed to the sharp teeth of parrotfish.
2: Oh, yeah. They
3: were trying to eat her feet.
2: It's a shame, too, because parrotfish sound so pleasant.
3: Yeah, they're not. They're not. No. So three nights go by. On the third night, she was obviously hungry. She was very dehydrated, and she began hallucinating. She felt as if she were in a cockpit of an airliner, and she imagined her father offering her a glass of red wine and saying, come on, Terry Joe, we're leaving. That's weird. Ominous. After several days of balancing on this tiny, slowly disintegrating cork raft, Terry Jo found herself suddenly surrounded by dark, mysterious shapes. At first, she was very frightened, thinking that these were sharks that were coming for an easy meal. You know, obviously, she'd been trying to hold her feet up away from right, nibbling. Fish. Yeah, but they had nibbled her feet and uh, blood was in the water, but they were not sharks. It was a pot of porpoises. <gasps> and they stayed with her for hours. She felt comforted by their presence, and she even said a little prayer of thanks for the porpoises, the dolphins. the
2: porpoises protecting her? They
3: were protecting her. They stayed with her until November 16th, when a sailor on a Greek freighter noticed a tiny speck on the water in the distance. When the ship pulled up to it, the sailors saw what was left of the cork float and were shocked to discover it was supporting the nearly lifeless body of of an 11-year-old girl. Her appearance was so startling that one of the sailors took a photo as they approached her, and the image soon appeared in publications all over the world. The crew quickly lowered a makeshift raft to rescue Terry Jill, But before they could get to her, just like you would expect in a movie, sharks began circling her just as they were about to rescue her. So it took quite a bit of time for the crew to maneuver a makeshift raft that they put together out far enough from the ship where they could pull her on board. Ultimately, they were able to avoid all the sharks and get her safely on board. Meanwhile, Julian Harvey thought he had gotten away with all of this. Right. He assumed that Terry Joe had gone down with the ship. Right, because it's like three
2: days later. Yep.
3: And so he felt confident he could report the tragedy as an accident and collect the insurance money. The story he told officials... Was that the Blue Bell had caught fire and sank, and that everyone else on board became tangled in the rigging and drowned. Um, but while Harvey was sitting at the police station giving his statement, police received word of the rescue of Terry Joe.
2: Wow, that's timing.
3: So when they learned that Terry Joe was still alive, they told Captain Harvey, and he was said to exclaim, Why, that's wonderful. <laughs> At that point, he uh, found an opportunity to excuse himself. Yeah, I bet. He went back to his hotel. The next morning, the police went there and they found him dead. He went back to the hotel and killed himself. Oh, wow. So Terry Jo was not only the sole survivor of her family's murder, but at age 11, she lived for several days on this makeshift cork raft that was slowly disintegrating in the middle of the ocean with no food, no water all alone with the exception of parrotfish and ultimately porpoises. She grew up, she got married, she had six children of her own. Five. Whoa, whoa. Five grandchildren. Interestingly, she dedicated her life to working with water. She spent 14 years as water management specialist with the uh, Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. And in 2010, she co-authored the book Alone, Orphaned at Sea. It was truly a miracle that the freighter crew members even saw her. Right. When she was found, she was floating on the small white piece of cork. Her hair was sun bleached blonde and she was wearing a pale pink shirt. It was almost impossible to see her.
2: Right. She would have looked like just the glints on the tops of waves. Yep.
3: Yep. Terry Joe Dupereau is the reason that life jackets and safety equipment on ships must be orange. Oh, wow. After her ordeal, the Coast Guard mandated that rescue equipment must be orange to increase visibility against the seawater. So, next time you see an orange life jacket, it's because of 11 year old Terry Joe Dupereau's heroic effort to stay alive.
2: That's incredible. What? I mean, that's got to be such an amazing moment when you are rescued and you're up on this ship and you see that these people are here to help you right Mm. and then all of a sudden the the full amount of this tragedy has to just fall upon you like it's got to be so bittersweet like Mm. you've been rescued but your entire family's dead
3: yeah yeah. Holy
2: and shit.
3: And you saw them dead. Right. I'm interested to, to read her book because, like you said, I wonder what was going through her mind when she was uh, rescued or if she even remembers because she was hallucinating. I, sure. I wonder if she thought that maybe, well, this isn't real or I'm dying or yeah. whatever the case may be.
2: Did she picture a series of zoo animals on the ship with her? Because that would also be an interesting story. Life of Pi, it's a great book. Go ahead and check it out.
3: <laughs> Terry Joe DuPereau.
2: Is there a movie? Because this sounds like a movie.
3: I'm not sure. I'm sure one of our freaks will let us know if it is.
2: Terry Joe, I'm so proud of you. And Porpoises, I fucking love you.
1: We were going to call this segment Kevin, but it didn't do well in focus groups. So now we call it That Thing in the Middle.
3: In December of 2019, a UK man was stuck in a traffic jam. He sat there for what seemed like hours. While he sat there, he noticed a strange smell coming from somewhere inside his car. After not being able to determine the source of the smell, he reached in the back seat, took out a giant can of aerosol air freshener, and proceeded to spray the inside of his vehicle, which would have been okay if he hadn't immediately after that lit a cigarette. The subsequent explosion blew out the glass windows and buckled the doors and frame of his vehicle. Yet the man from Yorkshire calmly emerged from the smoking, twisted steel wreckage with little or no injury, much to the delight of nearby motorists.
1: The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth.
0: Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke?
2: Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history. If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books,
0: on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class, part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au voyagezem, revoir, my friends. Bye bye. I'll be seeing you.
1: Made with space-age polymers that leave no aftertaste. This is The Box of Oddities. We're
3: still getting emails from people sharing their Ambien sleepwalking stories. (laughs) Jordan writes, Hey guys, just finished your show where you were talking about drug side effects and you mentioned Ambien causing sleepwalking. Many years ago, my parents and aunt and uncle took a trip to London. And getting on the plane at JFK in New York, the four of them all took Ambien to help them sleep on their long plane trip when they woke up they were in their beds in the hotel in london and to this day none of them have any recollection of their flight getting off the plane going through customs or how they got to the hotel
2: that's nuts
3: fucked up right (laughs) true story love you guys jordan thanks jordan that's wow that would haunt me forever i
2: know but what happened
3: what you got for me what you what you got for me? What 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 what, what you got for me?
2: Oh hey. <laughs> um so I have something for you. Oh. I hope that you're interested in well, what hearing is it? it. What what is it? Oh, you'd like to know? Yeah. So Fanny Mills. Fanny Mills was a petite little lady. She was fairly average in height, but only weighed about 115 pounds. That's the equivalent of 52 kilograms or eight stone. Look at you! In case you you were curioso. Look at you! Yeah.
3: Doing research.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Fanny, though, wore a size 30 shoe. Fanny was born size
3: size 30. Yeah. Okay.
2: Wow. Fanny was born in Sussex, England, either in 1859 or 1860, to English migrants who settled near Sandusky, Ohio. From an early age. Fanny began to show signs of Milroy's disease. Uh, Milroy's disease is caused by congenital abnormalities in the lymphatic system, and it causes disruption of normal drainage of, of your lymphs and makes fluid accumulate uh, in the soft tissues. So it's most common in women, with seventy to eighty percent of all those being affected being female, and the severity of it can vary quite a bit. Males born with Milroy disease are sometimes born with an accumulation of fluid in the scrotum. Oh! Uh, males and females may have upslanting toenails, deep creases in the toes, growths on the legs and feet, and very prominent leg veins.
3: That's. Well, that sounds uncomfortable.
2: Certainly. Once again, the family believed that her illness resulted from maternal impression. So, oh, oh. Dad at one point had made the pregnant mom wash the swollen leg of a horse, and therefore.
3: <laughs> I see. That's what, okay. In, in what year was this?
2: She was born in either uh, 1859 or 1860.
3: All right. So that was state-of-the-art science at the time. Yep. Yeah, yep.
2: Yeah. Okay. Maternal impressions. It's amazing how many times that concept has come up during this podcast. We've oh, talked about so many instances where it's like, oh, yeah, well, mom saw a rabbit, therefore, you know. Yeah.
3: She gave birth to dead rabbits.
2: Well, that was different.
3: That was, yeah.
2: But yeah. Right. For real. Mm management of milroys is usually successful in most people there are a combination of therapies that can include compression bandaging lymph drainage skin care exercise etc cetera, etc cetera. uh but in fanny's time there was not much known about those options Fanny's feet were said to have measured more than 19 inches long whoa. and 7 inches across. An alternate report that I found said that they were supposedly 19 inches long and 10 inches across. Her shoes were rumored to be made from the skins of three goats, and she used pillowcases as socks.
3: Whoa, whoa! Like regular-sized pillowcases or a king-sized?
2: Just regular size, I think. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, if you think about like um, like the biggest feet that are out there right now, like the biggest feet in the NBA, I think is uh, Shaq is tied with another basketball player, and he's got size 22 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there's an article, I believe, on Guinness about a guy who is out and about right now, and he has a size 26 feet and he's allegedly the guy with the biggest feet in the world right now
3: now her feet were they proportionate to her body size or was she just a person with really super big feet
2: no um as as i said she was a petite woman she weighed 115 pounds she was just oh i
3: missed that part yeah i was distracted by the whole pillowcase discussion
2: i well let's uh let's think of it this way so if she's five feet tall. Oh, my God. That's um 60 inches. And so her
3: feet were one third yeah. the height that she was. Yeah.
2: Wow. Wow is right. So she began exhibiting herself at Dime Museums in 1885, and she brought along her friend Mary Brown to serve as a nurse and attend to her special needs. So at this point, she was pretty... Uh, unable to walk without assistance, and she traveled around towns showcasing her abnormally large lower legs and feet. Promoters very quickly began to label Fanny as the Ohio Bigfoot Lady.
3: Okay, that's catchy.
2: Not real creative, though. <clears throat> she was a fairly popular attraction. Uh, Litter from the areas surrounding the dime museums and carnivals uh, were posters and pamphlets that uh, showcased her, uh, you know, from a distance or wearing shoes. Mm. So you couldn't tell exactly what was going on. But the the idea was come and see this woman with these huge feet, which seems a little (laughs) crazy. But you know how it was.
3: One's entertainment options in the mid-1800s were somewhat limited.
2: Absolutely. But she recognized that this was an opportunity for her mm-hmm. because she didn't have a lot of other options. She couldn't work because of the, her state, and she was actually doing pretty well being an attraction. Hmm. Promoters also began to issue a strange promotional challenge. Showman claimed that Fanny's father would offer $5,000 and a well-stocked farm to any man who would marry his daughter. So the deal was advertised as a boon for poor bachelors. Eligible (laughs) men were told not to permit two big feet to stand between you and wedlock tinged with fortune.
3: Wow. Those were different times.
2: Indeed. The enormous extremities were exaggerated by claims that uh, the old woman who lived in a shoe would have rented out apartments if she had <laughs> resided no. in no. in one of Miss Mill's shoes. This
1: this kind
3: of sounds a little bit like a nineteenth um, century version of a reality show, like The Bachelor.
2: Kind of. <laughs> The ad was effective to a certain extent. Many potential husbands uh, wrote letters, but the goal was really for people to come to the shows to meet her to see Hmm. if wedlock was a possibility and it worked tons of dudes made their way to the shows pay the admission to get in for the chance to meet her and woo her and maybe get that five thousand dollars and a farm
3: that must have made her feel special
2: listen listen Fanny was already married.
1: <laughs> oh.
2: Fanny was not entertaining suitors. She was getting money. Ooh. So <laughs> she was actually married to William Brown. And William Brown is the brother of Mary Brown, the, the chica who comes with her and helps her uh, do these shows. Oh, I see. And he had married her. In 1886, uh, for no dollars. He
3: didn't get a farm. No, there Mm. was,
2: it was, they got married because they wanted to get married. Uh, But she was okay with this arrangement because (laughs) she was bringing in the dough. At her peak, she was earning more than $150 per week. So she was doing really well. If you consider in today's dollars, that's like.
3: Let me check my trusty inflation calculator.
2: Yes, please.
3: In. Eighteen fifty, hundred fifty bucks would be worth in today's dollars. Over forty-six, almost forty-seven hundred dollars. Wow, that's pretty good money. See,
2: she was she was doing great. She's
3: doing great
2: and uh, was not concerned at all about the whole marriage proposal thing. Because yeah, again, was
3: a step ahead of everyone.
2: Right. There were some sad times uh, a little while after they got married. Uh, Fanny gave birth to a stillborn child. Um, and after that, her health really began to fail. Um, it eventually forced her to retire in the year 1892. And she moved back to Sandusky uh, to live on the farm with her husband, who had married her for free. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, but, but she was pulling down, you know, nearly five large a week. what would be equivalent to that's true so
2: are you saying he married for money you don't know what would make
3: yes yes that's exactly what i'm saying
2: fanny seemed lovely i'm sure she was and unfortunately she died within a year of retiring but it seems like they had a nice last year together on the farm and I'm, I'm totally making that part up. But I like to picture that it was like they sat out on the front porch, mm-hmm. you know, drinking lemonade and sure, such. Right. Um, and he would rub her feet. Yeah. <laughs>
3: She'd put her feet up on a barn and he'd rub them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm picturing it right now.
2: Anyway, that's the story of Fanny Mills, the uh, Ohio Bigfoot girl.
3: Wow. Fascinating. You know, it's, it's, it's great to hear that she was able to keep her money that she made by exhibiting herself because so often, mm. especially during this, this time of sideshow carnivals and, as you said, dime museums, um, people were so exploited and taken advantage of.
2: Yeah, it appeared as though she managed her shit.
3: She did. Yeah. Well, good for her.
2: And uh, I do have a photo. Um,
3: oh, my God. Yeah. That looks painful.
2: It looks terrible. It looks terrible.
3: Well, I'm glad that she um, she made some money anyway.
2: It's always uh, troublesome when you're telling, like, the life story, and it's always like, and she died. That's the end. <laughs> because, I mean, that's the end.
3: Sure. <laughs> but... Yeah.
2: Um, I suppose I could have been like, and she died. But it turns out she'd been married that whole time. Yeah,
3: you could have structured the story a little differently. I suppose I could have. That's all right. That's fine. Fascinating. You'll post that picture, I hope. Of course. Okay. Well, Kat's got to go finish tagging all my precious family heirlooms for the yard sale. So (laughs) let's... Let's wrap this up. If you want to get a hold of us, our email address is curator at theboxofoddities.com. We're on all the social meds, and our website is theboxofoddities.com.
2: Thank you so much for joining us and for uh, supporting us and all the really nice reviews that we've seen lately. We have a ton of new people who are subscribing and joining us. I don't know why or where they're coming from, but I like it.
3: Thank you so much. Welcome to the Freak family, and we look forward to seeing you next time.
2: Until then, keep flying that Freak flag.
1: Fly it proudly, you beautiful Freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.
0: Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast